to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So we're going to dive right into the big topic for this week that I want to talk about, and it's happenings that have come out of Indiana and some legislation and a church. And I want to highlight just this story this week because it's incredibly important. It's important for you and I as believers, as Americans, for our Constitution. And so I've brought my dad in, my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. Dad, thanks for being here. (laughs) Oh, I'm delighted, Miss Hannah. I haven't been on your program in a while. I've been missing out. Yes, and so we're going to dive right in and talk about what's been going on and how this is important for us as believers, as Americans, as parents. And um and it has to do with things that are kind of in my in, a little bit in my background, a lot in my dad's background and things that he's done. So that's why we're both doing this kind of jointly responding to what has happened. All right. Well, Hannah, tell us what's exactly happening in Indiana. So Steve West best sums it up in the opening statement of his article saying, quote, religious liberty is being threatened in the heartland of America. So for the last 45 years, Faith Church in Lafayette and West Lafayette, Indiana, has offered a a ministry of biblical counseling. They're currently providing 32 counselors and offering 60 to 80 hours of biblical counseling to the community each week. And the church has made a very costly and sacrificial commitment to ministering to people based on the Word of God. But as Steve West reports, Quote, that outreach is now threatened by a city council proposal that would penalize anyone who talks with minors to help them overcome unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. All right. Well, now, what exactly did that city ordinance specifically state? So proposed ordinance 3121 prohibits unlicensed persons from practicing, quote, conversion therapy. Now, I'm going to come back to that term and define that a a little bit later, Um, and or reparative uh, therapy. There's those two terms can be used kind of interchangeably. We'll refer to it as conversion therapy here because that's the word that they use in this proposal. But it prohibits unlicensed persons from practicing what they call conversion therapy with children under the age of 18, with the penalty of up to $1,000 per day for violations. Well, now, has, has anything like this ever happened in South Carolina where we live? Yes. So the city of Columbia actually passed a similar ban the summer of 2021 in a 4-3 vote, despite 11 of the 14 community members who spoke at the council meeting opposing the ban. And the Columbia ban was targeted at licensed therapists and counselors, which is where the Indiana ban diverges from what was passed in Columbia and in a lot of other cities. This uh, A ban like this on conversion therapy has happened uh, a few times um, over probably the last 10 years at least in different cities across the country, but it typically targets licensed professionals. So the Indiana ordinance, ordinance is not addressed simply to licensed professional counselors. Instead, It is addressed to anyone who counsels, and counseling is defined as, quote, 
techniques used to help individuals learn how to solve problems and make decisions related to personal growth, vocational, family, and other interpersonal concerns. Well, that's what I do every day in my medical and practice. That's what that is. That is exactly right. I mean, that would include the very conversations that are in that are the life and work of the local church and the daily life of parents. I saw. I'm getting ready to say that's what I did every day as a parent for my nine children. Yes, <laughs> that's what every parent out there does every day with their children, mm-hmm. teaching them how to solve problems and make decisions related to personal growth, vocation family, and other interpersonal concerns. That's everything. I'm, I'm astonished. I'm astonished. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around an ordinance that would interfere with the, the advice that a parent would give to a child, with the advice that a Sunday school teacher would yep. give to a, a third-grade boy. I mean, I teach third-grade boys in Sunday school. And, you know, I give them biblical advice. I give to them uh, fatherly advice. Um, and the parents trust me as a God-fearing Christian man, as a family doctor, to, to disciple their third-grade boys and to help them as they seek to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They trust me to be capable to do that. Now, more than that, um, I'm sure you remember Jay Adams' book, Competent yes. to Counsel. That was part of your training as a counselor. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And his contention was that every Christian who knows the Word of God should be competent to counsel. Exactly right. And in fact, when you read the um, uh, description of a of a disciple, uh, no, a deacon, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. in the in the New Testament. It talks about uh, deacons being apt or competent to teach. It talks about Christian folks being competent to counsel. And uh, Jay Adams was one of the first ones who uh, wrote a curriculum for lay people, teaching them how they could counsel other believers simply as a lay person who really knew and understood the Word of God, and not delegating or relegating that just to paid professional church staff members. And I, I'm not a, a trained Bible counselor in any sense of the term, but I do know the Word, and I have studied the Word, and I counsel people in my medical practice and in my personal life and my relationship with folks just about every day. You know, I don't dispense just medical advice. I dispense biblical advice. And this ordinance would prohibit that. And not just for me, but for scores and scores of God-fearing Christian folks out there who are every day helping folks grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're you're trying to do any kind of ministry of the gospel, you know, and this isn't just, you know— 
it's not just pastors, as you're saying, you know, it's not just pastors or a counselor that's, you know, volunteering at a church. Mm -hmm. This is anybody and everybody who, you know, we talked about parents already. This is anybody who's saying, hey, you know, I work on the manufacturing line over at BMW and the guy next to me has been having a lot of problems with his marriage and I'm a believer. And I, so, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, well, what does God's word say about, you know, the, about marriage and how do I help this guy help, you know, fix his marriage. And so you take him to the word of God. You know, first of all, I would say good for you. Every, you're a believer. You're competent to counsel because you have the word of God if you know the word of God. That's right. But secondary, this this ban would prohibit you from being able to stand in the manufacturing line That's right. at BMW That's right. and talk about this with your, with the guy next to you who's having trouble with his and marriage. And you see, the goal of all Christian counseling is to help people be conformed right. to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of necessity, that involves change. Yeah. That involves people converting from one lifestyle to another lifestyle, being transformed from one way of living to another way of living. And this ordinance would prohibit us from quote, discipling people from one way of life to another way of life. And that's horrifying to me that a, that a law would prohibit Christian folks from doing But before we go any further, I do want to make sure that I let folks know that this proposal was set aside. There's been a lot of controversy over it, and they set it aside through December, January, and it's supposed to come back up on February 7th. So if you're listening to this program, be aware of that, be praying for that. And if you were in Indiana or if this is something that you're concerned about, um, think about trying to get involved and finding a way to support that church and ministry and just kind of keep your ear to the ground on what's happening with that ban in Lafayette. All right. Now, before we go any further, Hannah, tell us what exactly is conversion therapy? So historically, when we talk, well, before I go into that, three names I need to mention, uh, Steve West, Al Mohler, and Dr. Heath Lambert. Those three men, specifically Al Mohler and Dr. Lambert, are two men that I've, you know, when you're reading, when you're hearing me talk about these things, and you're like, oh, wow, Hannah sounds really smart. Uh, it's because I listened to these two, two guys. really smart guys. <laughs> yes, to these two really smart guys. Smart, so. <laughs> smart people listen to smart people. But honor, uh, yeah, honor to whom honor is due. Uh, so a lot of this information I kind of gleaned from those guys. So if you want to go straight to the source, those are the two that I would suggest that you go to. Al Mohler and who else? And um, Dr. Heath Lambert. Okay. And so the Association of Biblical Counselors. So historically, though, when we talk about conversion therapy or reparative therapy, we're talking about a specific therapeutic secular intervention that is meant to help people who struggle with homosexuality, particularly male homosexuals. And it's meant to help them resolve their homosexual feelings and to begin to act out in heterosexual ways. It was primarily pioneered by a guy named Joseph Nicolosi, who created the National Association of Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, or NARTH. There are three realities uh, regarding conversion or reparative therapy, according to Dr. Heath Lambert. So, and first of all, they are identifying a problem. That's the first part. They're identifying a problem, 
And the problem as reparative or conversion therapy sees it is to explain the origins of homosexuality as being grounded in a relational break between parents and their children, specifically between dads and their boys. So the way they think of the problem is that there is a distance between a dad and a son. The son, feeling distance from his father, develops a relationship of closeness with his mother, begins to identify with his mother instead of, as we would hope, a boy identifying with his dad. And as he grows in closeness with his mother and in distance from his father, Nicolosi's phrase is, the exotic becomes erotic. So... Just as a boy growing close to his dad begins to have erotic feelings for the distant woman, and there the exotic becomes erotic, so a boy growing up close to his mom and distant from his dad, the exotic male becomes the erotic. So, boys begin to, according to conversion therapy, envy the masculine bodies and relationships with masculine men that they were denied in their close relationship with their dad. They honestly believe that homosexual activity is a reparative effort to repair the breach between the father-son relationship. So according to them, that's the problem. All right. Then the second part is the process. Every counseling intervention has a process. And for reparative therapists or conversion therapists, they seek to repair the damage between the father-son relationship with therapy. This is not what converse uh, conversion or reparative therapist would not say um, but you know according to Heath Lambert most people probably understand what we mean when we say that reparative or conversion therapy becomes a sort of therapeutic reparenting so that's not necessarily the words that conversion therapists would use but when we're looking at this and understanding what they're identifying as a problem that's exactly what they're doing is a therapeutic reparenting you enter into a platonic, it's supposed to be platonic anyway, it's not always, and that's part of the problem, but you're supposed to enter into a platonic relationship with your same-sex therapist, and as you rediscover those emotions and develop closeness, that breach that existed between you and your father is repaired, and so reparative therapy. And the goal of reparative therapy, the purpose of it, so you've got a problem, process, and purpose, the purpose of it is to realize your sexual desires in heterosexuality. So reparative therapists like Nicolosi and others are very, very clear that as the therapeutic relationship works itself out, as those tensions are resolved, heterosexual desires will be a natural result of the therapy. And actually, they don't judge therapy to be successful until those heterosexual desires are in place until they've been converted and that's how we've kind of married the that's why they they use those terms really are interchangeably reparative is just the more acceptable today mm -hmm. um but conversion for you know until those homosexual de desires have been converted to heterosexual desires so after that description though does any of that language bring to mind any names out of the secular psychology world Sounds quite Freudian to me. Yes, it does. And um, that's why, you know, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but why biblical counselors really denounce this, and we'll talk a little bit more about the differences, I think, later. All right. But the Indiana Band defines conversion therapy as any practice or treatments that seek to change an individual's sexual orientation 
or gender identity, including efforts to change gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings towards individuals or the same gender. Is that fair to say? Yeah. That's that's exactly how what they've termed it as. That's their defi- definition of conversion therapy, which is much broader and is not, you know, I just went through the three realities mm-hmm. and parts of conversion or reparative therapy as discussed by Dr. Heath Lambert, who's an expert in this topic, um, and Al, Al Moeller and Steve West and these other guys. You know, they would say these are the three parts of that. It's very different from what this proposal is suggesting. All right. Well, then do true biblical counselors approve of conversion therapy? In short, no. They've actually um, very publicly denounced conversion and reparative therapy uh, or reparative therapy in the past. Um, they have said that what we do is not conversion therapy. It's not reparative therapy. Remember, anytime I use either one of those words, they're, they're the interchangeable. Thing. They're interchangeable. Um, but unfortunately, there is a history of the evangelical church partnering with conversion therapy on this issue, primarily in the 60s and 70s. On the surface, they seem to be similar. Reparative therapists think that homosexuality is bad. They think it's bad in a different way than Christians think it's bad. They think it's bad in a more maladaptive, it's not going to help you kind of a thing. Christians think it's bad because it disobeys the law of God. And they both believe that that person can change. The mechanisms of change, though, are very, very different. But Christians were just happy to have a partner. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, back a couple of decades ago with some people who were agreeing that this was bad and agreeing that people could change. When you put that together with the relative ignorance of most Christians, no disrespect to anybody who's listening to this, but Christians just tend to be ignorant about how to help people with complex problems. So they just grab on anybody who thinks anywhere close to how they think. So it's no surprise that, you know, they, they, they hear about this resource and it seems to on the surface look and, and operate very similar to how we would as the church, and they latch onto that. And uh, they they agree it's bad, they want to help. Um, I'll, I'll read that. I'll read that resource because I don't know what else I'm doing. People just kind of stumbled into it and were happy to have a partner. But that ignorance notwithstanding, reparative conversion therapy really is at odds with the Bible. All right. Now, weren't you trained as a biblical counselor, Miss Hannah? Yes. I spent three years uh, training as a biblical counselor while I was in college. Um, so it was a kind of a dual dual thing. So while I, I'm not an expert, though, I spent a lengthy amount of time learn and continue to have learned in the past 10 years since then, uh, learning about biblical counseling and that method. So I can quite confidently say Dr. Lambert is correct when he says we are really talking about three different responses to homosexuality when we're talking about this. And, you know, one response that we have is the popular secular response that says homosexuality is okay, whatever you want to do, do it, that's fine, be who you want to be. Then there's a response of conversion therapy that says, hey, homosexuality is abnormal, you're doing with the human body what what it wasn't designed to do. It's not going to work out well. People are hurting. They want to help. Let's come up with some strategies that can help them. And then there's the response of the Bible. There is the Christian and evangelical response. 
there's the biblical counseling response that says homosexuality is a sin against a holy God. It's not up to your decision whether you would like to do it or not. God says you must not do it. Change is therefore required, and change is possible, but not by therapeutic intervention. Change is possible by, and to quote Dr. Lambert, a dispensation of grace from the living Christ. And we're told in the Bible how we can lay hold of that grace through the sufficient scriptures that tell us how to change. And so those are two very, very different things. Uh, so we, we would say the problem is not just that it is maladaptive. We would say as biblical counselors, as true biblical counselors, the problem is that this is sin. And the process, we would say, involves the crucial intervention of Jesus Christ to change you and involves laying hold of specific scriptures to put off sin and put on righteousness. We would say the goal is not, and this is where people can also be confused, the goal isn't heterosexuality. In the Bible, if you have general heterosexual desires, that's identified as lust. The sexual desire that is good is when you have sexual desire for your opposite sex spouse in marriage. So what we would say the goal is is for Christians is not heterosexuality. We would say the big goal is Christ-likeness and righteousness. That is so otherworldly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. When you start talking like that, Hannah, that just sounds so not like the world. You know, and it's just it's thinking so differently from the way the world thinks. That's just biblical thinking, Mm -hmm. you know. And you're beginning to see why this is a threat to the church. Well, it's it's a threat to the secular world. Mm -hmm. And when when the um, the folks out there that are pushing the um, homosexual agenda hear people talking like that, it terrifies them. I understand that. It terrifies Mm -hmm. them. All right, well, now, who's promoting this legislation in Indiana? So, in a broad sense, moral revolutionaries and those with the LGBTQ agenda, but it's clearly unconstitutional. Uh, Regent School of Law professor Brad Jacob had two words for this proposal, blatantly unconstitutional. (laughs) Say that again. Blatantly unconstitutional. He said it, the proposal contradicts decades of free speech law. He said essentially they're saying the only acceptable worldview is that if you feel these impulses, you must act on them. That's nuts. That is nuts. That's craziness. That's, <laughs> so, that's, one of my preacher friends says, that's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it is very true. If you, have the, if you feel these impulses, whatever impulse you feel, you must act on it. That's what this worldview is trying to force on all of us. So what's their agenda then? I believe the agenda is multifaceted. One, to tie the hands of the local church and parents. You know, one of the primary responsibilities of the church and parents as the disciplers of their children is to take the righteous finger of God via the scriptures and place that finger directly onto the sin we harbor in our hearts. And you know, our sinful culture doesn't like that at all. Oh no, they rebel. They run. They run and rebel. Especially our sex-obsessed culture. That's exactly right. All right, now what would be the end result of, of a proposal, an ordinance like this, Miss Hannah? 
Well, by tying the hands of the church and parents and placing them on the wrong and, and literally placing parents in the church on the wrong side of the law, that's what this would do. Yes. This is another step towards changing our culture and telling Americans that holding to a biblical worldview is not just unpopular, but illegal, which is another facet of, you know, when you say, what is their agenda? This is the other side of it. You know, it's to tie the hands of the church and the parents and then to put them on the wrong side of the law. It makes them all lawbreakers. Yes. And of course, this is also a violation of both religious freedom and, and the free and free speech. So there are constitutional issues here as well. And I was I was I've been telling people for thirty years when I make my pro life presentation, I ask them what is the consequence consequence of abortion on demand, and I've told them for thirty years that unrestricted abortion would lead to a day when we would not be able to preach the full counsel of God. And I told them for 30 years that there would come a day when pastors would not be able to stand up in America and say that homosexuality is a sin and that we would be put in prison one day for preaching that homosexuality is a sin. And already that is happening in Canada. Everybody knows this in the know is aware that that's happening in Canada. And it's happened in uh, Colorado or Arizona. I forget which state. There's a pastor out there who's been put in prison just for that very thing for preaching that homosexuality is a sin. And now with an ordinance like that, not just pastors, but lay people who are counselors will be fined, potentially imprisoned, for preaching that homosexuality Look, is a sin. you have a kid in the public school and his, and, and his teacher or his you know school nurse finds out that his parents have been telling him that you know even though he identifies as a girl and he's a, he's a 12-year-old boy, and, then, and the, he, that nurse finds out that the parents are speaking right. into this little boy's life in a different way and not affirming that, right. then those parents could go to jail. That's what this kind of ban is talking about. Yes. That's exactly right. Well, now, is this the kind of thing that would call for God-fearing Christian folks to run for office at the local level? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Look, there's going to be a particular response for each and every different congregation, uh, every different minister of the gospel, every believer, every Christian. Some some people are going to be influential on social media and be able to write articles. Some people are going to be able to do this podcast, you know, put you know, help put the information out there via their whatever their platform may be. Um, some people have relationships with those in, in city government and state government and federal government. Some people are going to have the ability to create petitions and, and to be able to lobby various and sundry groups. I mean you have to just take stock of what are my abilities, what are the talents that God's given me, where, what's my platform, uh, where's, what's my circle of influence, and ask yourself of, you know, what's within my power to do. That's right. Um, you know, and then and if you're a pastor, what can I marshal my particular congregation to be able to do for this? But everybody has got to do something. There's a there's a time to strategize to fight these things legislatively and within the bounds of our constitution, which we absolutely must do. Uh, we fight we fight to win always, but if we lose, that means it's the time to take the, a stand. That's right. That means tomorrow our pastors get up, they drive to church, they turn off the alarm, and they go about doing the ministry of the gospel. We've got to keep preaching the Bible. We've got to keep doing what the Bible says at all costs. And if that leads them to putting cuffs on us, then so be it. We embrace that suffering with open arms, but so far as we can, we should fight and win before it comes to that. 
Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com.